The Worker Learner Podcast is brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education. Bringing together the expertise of Griffith University's academics and research centres, our professional learning is designed to deliver creative solutions for the workplace of tomorrow. Whether you are looking for opportunities for yourself or your team, we have you covered. Hello, my name is Brian McIntosh and I will be your host today. I'm an Associate Professor of Integrated Water Management here at Griffith University. Uh, and I wear a couple of different hats. Uh, I work uh, for the International Water Centre. I'm also a member of the Australian Rivers Institute uh, and also uh, a part of the School of Environment and Science. Integrated water management, you're probably going, what the heck is that? Uh, and the easiest way to think about it, it's, it's a really good piece of academic jargon, a sort of a systems view of water. You know, water permeates pretty much everything we do as a society. Um, from groundwater, rivers, lakes, our coastal areas, right through uh, uh, the ways in which we derive services from water, the ecologies, environments which are supported by water, our economies and our communities. Uh, it's all of that. And how does water and the way that we interact with water affect uh, other parts of the system? Um, so that's, that's really what I do. And it's my great pleasure to, uh, to be able to talk um, today with Margaret Cook. Um, hello, Margaret. Hello, lovely to talk to you. Uh, Margaret is author of a fantastic book. It's probably got the best book title in the world. Uh, it's A River with a City Problem. And you, you might sort of hear that and think that it's the other way around, but no, it's the right way around. It's A River with a City Problem. Uh, really interesting book. And Margaret is an environmental historian. So maybe before we get into the, the subject of, of, of this podcast, Margaret, can you tell us a little bit about what an environmental historian is and does, and maybe a little bit about why and how you got into being an environmental historian? Yeah, well, environmental history is probably like being a systems water person. Who knows what that is? So <laughs> I'm an, an historian who's particularly interested in people and place. Mm. And, and my the appeal for environmental history for me is that um, it's about the relationship between those two things. And I think um, my background was in social history, and then looked at. Then I worked in heritage, so I was doing people and then place. And then I thought, actually, the bit that's missing is the environment. That's sort of the trifecta. And so, environmental history to me is very appealing because it can you look at different ways of looking at the world around us to use the past to mm. explain the present. And that's the the thrill of history for me is finding those clues that make sense of the present day. Okay, and look, water is. Um there are a lot of general things you can say about water. You know, we are, we're, we've got drought, increasing uh, severity of drought, increasing severity and frequency of flooding. Um, but water is is quite a fundamentally place-based thing. You know, one what happens here in southeast Queensland is, is not the same as in Darwin or Perth or where I'm from, uh, Glasgow in, in Scotland. Um, so today, what I'd like to do is engage you in conversation about about flooding, uh, vulnerability to flooding, and particularly uh, how flooding uh, has impacted and is impacted by by different kinds of businesses here in southeast Queensland, uh, this this sort of large regional place, yeah. and I, I know that's a, an area of 
of significant focus for you. Um, in fact, you, your book is about about a particular river, the Brisbane River. Um, can you tell us something, maybe as a, as a bit of background and context, something uh, about the, the history of, of of flooding here in southeast Queensland? Yeah, well, it's had a long, deep history with our Aboriginal history and so on. And we, you mentioned before the title. And the reason that your title appealed to me is because it's a really good way of um, putting people in their place. It's mm. a, a river with a city problem. The river's been here for a really long time, millennia. And in fact, it's the people that are the new players in this game. Mm. And so what I wanted to do was to tell the story of this long history of the river. And then the British settlers arrive and think, aha, we'll build a city here. What could possibly go wrong when you build on a subtropical river? Well, as it turns out, lots of things can go wrong. And it's happened many, many times. And one of the reasons I wanted to tell this story is when we get the floods, as we have in recent times, we had some February floods this year in 2022, um, the word that keeps coming up is unprecedented. And as an historian, that drives me a little bit crazy because it's not unprecedented. We've got this long history and people don't know it. So that was my challenge, to tell the story that we've had floods. Even in the colonial record, we've had a lot of floods. 1841, 1893, 74, 2011, 2022. They sort of roll off my tongue now. Mm. But they are memories that people forget. And mm. so when we get a new flood, what we need to do is to tell people where we should all be thinking about floods when we live in a subtropical city on a flood-prone river. Yeah, look, I can imagine, uh, well, there's an awful lot that's unexpected about the climate here compared to uh, a, a British or a Scottish climate. So I can imagine where the, the start of the problems perhaps uh, emerged. I think you're absolutely right. When you're, you've come from Britain, so you know that they get... Uh, regular regular rain but it's quite small rain it's constant rain whereas here we get uh, we can get um, Britain's annual rainfall in a, in a month yes. um, or we can get none for years so in Britain they can measure drought in weeks we measure it in uh, years sometimes decades so if you get that British mindset coming to Australia and you're looking around and trying to make sense of what you can see it's going to be so different the seasons are backwards the, the rivers don't behave the same way and so we made some of those decisions were based on those decisions on that that mm. knowledge and knowledge doesn't always come so well in your luggage. Mm. So southeast Queensland uh, it spans a sort of f fairly large area really um, with quite a few different rivers, uh, quite a diversity of landscape, um, quite a few um, towns and cities uh, from the from Ipswich and the, and the Bremer uh, right down to, to Gold Coast and, and Brisbane. Um, it's it's a place when you think of cities you probably think a little bit of tower blocks and you think a lot about people and houses mm -hmm. um there's a quite a significant diversity of of business uh across that that landscape from from agriculture through to productive industries into retail and catering and the restaurants and cafes and things like that that we we, we go to and of course all, all the banks and, and office work um What's sort of what, what can you say? What can you tell us about about the way in which flooding has impacted different kinds of businesses uh, here in southeast Queensland? And uh, we'll kind of leave the time span a bit open to to, to, to yourself to, to interpret. Sure, um, as you say, the the area is so different and so diverse, and it's really 
important to remember that. But when the settlers arrived, they looked at that low-lying area for industry because the river provides fuel and steam and all the things they needed. So we get these pockets of, of light industry more so in Queensland than, say, southern states. Mm. So we get that concentration of that. Then in the cities, we in the city area, we get the businesses and the retail hubs. And initially, uh, a lot of the retail was on the south side of Brisbane. But in the 1893 flood, they got so badly affected, everyone moved to the north side. Okay. So we end up with that retail hub and business heart and the government centre is in the middle, which is very flood prone. Mm -hmm. And then as we move up the reach, you get different businesses. So you might get the heavier industry down towards the port. And as you move up, it gets to be lighter industry. And then as you say, up at the, at the headwaters, it's more agricultural. So all of those businesses get affected in varying degrees. So, and they're different scales too. Sometimes they're enormous businesses and sometimes they're just a small little mm. retailer who's trying to make a dollar and he's beside a creek. We didn't mention the creeks before. We've got 22 yes. creeks to throw into that little okay. mix too. So we can get flooded in many ways mm. and all of those businesses are along that waterway partly for historical reasons of transport and fuel but also before we had the train line that's how people travelled mm -hmm. um, but also it's always scenic and that's where people want to recreate so that's where you have pubs and hotels and the, the retail places as well. So mm. um, where businesses and where we work is a factor of history as well. Okay, so you the sort of... Um the sort of indicating that to some extent flooding has driven the the spatial pattern of of cities like like brisbane you know what 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 is what is where yeah not so much the flooding unfortunately but the river definitely have okay. because people moved with the river because the river mm. was our means of transport but we sort of ignored the flooding mm. so unfortunately that's actually been something that we have really overlooked and and businesses tend to go back in the same place each time so mm. uh, we haven't planned for our flooding but we have exploited the river and down at the at the port because i guess that's where the main well that's now the port port the port used to be much further up yeah. the, the Brisbane River, um, yeah. uh, pretty much at Kangaroo Point or just opposite Kangaroo Point. Yes. Um, uh, so I suppose most of the transport, except for pedestrian transport, commercial transport is now down the way, so towards the mouth of the river. Uh, is it still impacted by flooding? Or yeah, or it so is much? impacted, in, not to the same extent. Like the, You're right, the reason the ports could move is because of technology. Mm -hmm. um, and then the big ships couldn't come under the Story Bridge. So the port moves further and further and further out, and it's okay. all about the depth of the boats. Yep. So, so yes, we now have this port area. And it's affected in a different way because all of that flotsam and jetsam that we set up from the, from the top all ends mm -hmm. up in the port. So yep. the port becomes quite dangerous because there's so many things coming coming downstream. Last mm -hmm. floods, we had dinghies and walkways and boats and pontoons, and that's mm. all coming down. So whilst it mightn't um, stop ships coming in, it makes that a hard place to navigate. So they actually closed the river in mm. February 2022 because of the stuff in the river. Okay. So what's what's changed about the pattern then of the... So one thing that's changed about the pattern of where business is, the transport and the commerce is, is largely headed downstream. What's what, what's the relationship of, of business to the Brisbane River and maybe even further up, up the way now? What What's close to the river and, and, and at risk of, of flooding? Yeah, well, um, what's changed is really the transport. And again, the, not just mm. the boats, but we used to just have to get the tram and the train, but mm. now we can have cars and trucks 
So mm. you can get a business further out. But they've still stayed in the city because it's convenient. So we've got that radial pattern still that's going on. So um, some of the businesses that we use, that we rely on are on the floodplain because it's cheap land. So if we look at an area like Rockley, mm. which is a heavy industrial area, probably one of our main industrial areas, that's where our food markets are. That's where our mm. uh, heavy businesses are. So when that area gets flooded, as it does quite regularly, it's an incredibly vulnerable place. Um, all of those industries are taken out. So mm. in the 74 floods and the 2011 floods, we couldn't get food because the food all goes into the Rockley markets and it couldn't get out. Mm. So those sorts of areas are really important because they are there for those reasons, that they're on the main highways, mm. um, it's cheap land. And has anything changed uh, in terms of, of Rockley, say, as a, as a major food distribution hub? Um, it's been flooded and it's going to be flooded again. Mm. Is it, in fact, is Rockley owned by a single business or is it, and, and are they thinking of relocating or is that just not possible? What's, are they just copying the costs? What's, what's I know the, the individual people own the build, um, lease the buildings. I don't know if they own them. But mm. what they've tended to do is just change the infrastructure around them. So they've raised the road. Okay. Um, but that's actually filmed, effectively formed a dam in some areas because if you raise a road, it can hold water in. So it didn't, it didn't help the markets at mm. all. It might have made it easier to get in and out, but it didn't mm. make it easier to save the businesses. So I haven't heard any discussion of moving that, but I think that's one of the areas that really we do need to look at because it floods pretty regularly. Mm. And the other area that, that I, I hear about quite regularly in, um, in relation to flooding in southeast Queensland is Ipswich. So shifting from, uh, from Rockley upstream to, to Ipswich, the, the city centre looks as if it goes under pretty quickly all the time. Mm, well, I live in Ipswich, so you chose a great place to ask okay. me about. So I do know it quite well. Um, and yes, the inner city area in Ipswich floods mm. a lot. And one of the areas that floods all the time is Coles, our mm. main supermarket. Okay. So after the 74 floods, it got flooded. In 2011, it got flooded. Mm. So they flipped it. So they put the car park underneath and moved the Coles up a little bit higher. But four months on, they still haven't got an escalator because um, it's still in the floodplain. So, mm. yes, yeah, Central Ipswich gets really badly flooded. In, in 74, it was um, isolated for three days because of the floods. So it's a particularly vulnerable area. It's on the Bremer River, and the mm -hmm. Bremer River isn't regulated. It's one of the few rivers in Queensland that doesn't have a dam on it at all. Mm. And so, um, and then it's fed... Then we get the Lockyer rain and the Brisbane uh, River rain coming in. It sort of gets this backwater. So Ipswich is particularly affected by floods. And as you say, it's the business area. It's all the shops. It's all mm. the retail. It's the businesses. It's where the banks are. So all of those areas get really badly affected. And so Brisbane, um, the floods in Ipswich can actually shut the city down quite quickly. And what, have you, if, I didn't know you were an Ipswich resident, but... Uh, I means you've probably got a, a sense, not just as a professional historian, but, but your lived experience. Has that repeated, is that repeated flooding having an impact on the commercial attractivity of, of Ipswich city centre? Is, are you, can you notice uh, a desertion of that, that city centre by businesses because it's too costly for, for either direct recovery or insurance oh, reasons? Absolutely. In fact, it's a really good example 
a sad example nonetheless, mm. but a good example because across the road from the Coles that I was mentioning, mm. there are three businesses that have not opened yet and that's four months on. Um, and I'm told they won't reopen because they can't get insurance. They've only just really recovered from the 2011 flood and they're small businesses. One's mm. a Vietnamese family that work, the whole family work in that business mm. and they just can't afford to move back. So we're actually seeing more empty shops in mm. Ipswich than we've seen before and some businesses have all relocated. Um, and then we've got, we haven't got the situation that we have in Lismore where the whole main street mm. is out of action, but we definitely have pockets in Ipswich that I'm not sure will recover after this flood. They're becoming a bit too frequent. Yeah, and it's a, uh, there is a sort of a footfall density requirement for, for business. If yeah. you, well, retail type businesses, um, if you don't have enough people visiting an area, and people visit an area because there are businesses, the businesses move away, fewer people, uh, That's that could have quite a profound and Absolutely. possibly and irreversible and impact. Customers change their habits very, mm. very fast, don't they? So if they mm. can't get their bread at that bakery, they'll find another bakery quite quickly. Mm. Do they go back? That's the other thing too. So mm. those retail practices change very fast. So it's mm. um, footfall is very, very important. And if you've got these um, missing teeth in the smile of the main street, they might yep. describe it as, um, you don't go back to the main street. You go mm. somewhere else. Well, maybe even though Lismore isn't in southeast Queensland, it's not very far away, but no. uh, but let's come back to that in just a second. Let's. So we've got the, the sense as if there are some, some real risks to the the continued vibrancy uh, of of one city centre, Ipswich. Let's come downstream to uh, to Brisbane city centre, Eagle Street Pier. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it goes under, it goes under pretty spectacularly, but it yeah. seems to always emerge and come back again. What's, what's your sense of vulnerability of the businesses there? Do, do, do you get the sense that they're, they're just willing to, to wear whatever comes at them or that there is some, there's some threshold beyond which those businesses would have a similar reaction to, uh, to Ipswich? I think there's a threshold, but I think it's a different threshold for the big end of town. Mm. Like the small retailer that I'm talking about, the person who owns a Vietnamese restaurant, mm. their margins are so small that mm. they can't take it. But, mm. but if you're talking about some of those Eagle Street businesses, they've been there a long time. Mm. They, they have probably more capital investment in that whole business, so they may stay. Mm. But there will come a point at which they can't insure and they can't mm. do it. And it's a mental strain as well as a, mm. an, um, a financial one. How many times do you want to clean up your restaurant, mm. refit it out, redesign your whole business and then know that it might happen again. You know, there's, there's flood fatigue kicking mm. in there. And I think even for those big businesses, they can only go so many times that they don't think about relocating mm. as well. well. You might or might not know, that, know this, but do you have a sense as to insurability? I, I know, so I, I live uh, out in the, the eastern suburbs, the Bayside suburbs, uh, and I know that Lota, which is a particularly low-lying suburb, um, there are houses there which are not insurable anymore, um, mainly because of um, it's coastal flooding, it's tidal flooding rather than uh, than overland stormwater flooding. Um, what, what about Brisbane, Ipswich, other areas? What's what's happening in the insurance uh, landscape? Insurance is becoming unaffordable. Mm. It's becoming quite a luxury for some people, and I think um, I think there's going to be increasingly each flood more people that aren't insured. 
After the 2011 flood, people's insurance premiums went up. And a lot of people got flood insurance whether they needed it or not because mm. that was what the policy said. And people did opt out. But now I'm told that the premiums are going to be so high that people won't be able to afford it. Mm. And that's really going to change that dynamic. At first I used to think insurance was a problem because it was a Band-Aid solution, that people would just get insurance and go back in and it wouldn't make them change their behaviour. But now I think it's going to go too, probably too far the other way that people are going to have to move because they can't afford to stay. Mm. And the insurance is going to be one of those triggers that make people have to move. Mm. Going to Lismore then. Um, mm. So Lismore, uh, just in case our, our, our readers, our listeners rather, uh, haven't heard about what happened in Lismore, can you just give us a sense of what's recently happened there and... Uh, the impact that the flooding has had on um, businesses and the kind of businesses in Lismore because they're, they're, they're different, again, from, mm -hmm. from Brisbane City versus Ipswich uh, City. So in February 2022, Lismore flooded. Lismore's got a levy, but I think the levy is about 11 metres and it was above that. And so Lismore was absolutely devastated. Sure. So significant flood mm. and they were evacuated in the middle of the night. It was absolutely traumatic. There were mm. stories of people being removed from their rooftops. It was horrible. Mm. And I've been to Lismore since to see what it was like because um, I needed to for research. I went very reluctantly because mm. I, I didn't want to be a voyeuristic tourist but I, I needed to see it. And it's horrifying, utterly horrifying. The, the main street is empty. It's mm. boarded up. Um, there's incredible damage, glass is smashed, all the businesses, so we're talking all the shops, cafes, restaurants in the main street are just gone. There's mm. nothing in the main street. Then you move to um, north of Lismore, as you move up the hill, the businesses are there, but the smaller businesses down the hill, including there, supermarket and Coles, Woolworths, all of those, they're gone. Then if you move to south Lismore, which is the other side of the river, it's just destroyed. It's mainly houses and small businesses like petrol stations, service stations, um, car repair yards, those sorts of things. But they're just gone as well. So mm. um, it's a ghost town and it's horrifying. It's a ghost town covered in mud. There's debris and trees really high up. Um, and I, it's going to be months. People are still waiting for assessment. This is four months on. People haven't even had assessors or builders through to start even repairing those towns. So I think there's a big discussion that has to take place about moving people. Mm. We talk about resilience and you can do a lot for smaller floods. You can mm. design your buildings slightly differently. You can mm. make different design decisions. You can raise your houses a little bit, but you're not going to raise your house 11 metres. Uh, and there comes a point at which can we really keep affording both financially and emotionally to keep putting those people back mm. in those places? Look, uh, somebody listening to this might think, could you just build a bigger levy? Yeah, well, that is one of the solutions. But um, one of the things they've found is that uh, how high do you build that levy? Mm. Um, and we're always revising the probable maximum flood heights. And yep. with climate change, they're probably going to be higher. So where do you stop? Mm. And it's only one solution. Um, and even the people, le levies help one part of the river system but can't help the whole river system. So, for example, if you built a, a levy in one part of the Brisbane River, you're not going to be able to control flooding in the entire part of the Brisbane River. So whilst a, an engineering solution might solve it 
in some situations for some people, it can also cause some problems. Mm -hmm. So I think we also need to think about town planning and legislation and building codes and those sorts of things. And since the 1970s, disaster people have been talking about using that suite, mm. but we're not so good at doing that. And have you, either from knowledge in, uh, about what has happened here in southeast Queensland or perhaps more, more, more broadly, um, What's in extremis? What what happens when when an area becomes uninhabitable and or is not viable for uh, for either people to live or for for businesses? What, you know, what 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 happens? You need a lot of good community will. You need a lot of courage, and you need to move people. So Grantham's moved. That's an example in the mm -hmm. Lockyer Valley. That after the twenty eleven floods, uh, Grantham was a town that was. Um, destroyed mm. every every property every building every house was damaged by flood and it took a very courageous mayor mm -hmm. to say we're not going back there mm. and so they worked and rebuilt the town in a year now it's not a huge town but it's still a pretty amazing to build a mm. town in a year and what worked there is they worked with the entire community so just about everybody moved mm. and that's what it's going to take so just getting we've had in in southeast queensland in brisbane some um, small schemes buyback schemes where you've got individual houses to move but people generally don't want to move in that situation because they like their community mm. and they don't want to leave their neighbors and their friends and their doctors and their hairdressers and all the things that and their church and their social things that make up the community. Whereas if you get a solution like Grantham where everybody moves, the community goes with you. And so I think that's the sort of thing we're looking at in that large scale of Lismore of mm. moving whole pockets of people, not just one or two people. Mm. I'll, I'll just want to ask one la last question about Grantham. When you see it's, it's physically moved, do you, have they actually moved the houses or did they just knock them down and build some new ones? To, what's, what, what, does, what does moving look like? It was very, very clever. So mm. they did a land swap scheme. So they moved up the hill and they uh -huh. got new houses. Okay. Most, a lot of the other houses had washed away okay. or were destroyed. Mm. So it was a situation where it was so bad, they had to rebuild the town anyway. So the decision was made to move the town. And that's the sort of thing we really need to start talking about, actually moving the most vulnerable people because we will continue to flood. So for larger, Grantham's pretty small. Uh, it's smaller than Lismore, I think. Mm -hmm. um, for larger places like Ipswich or Brisbane, maybe it's not moving entire cities. Maybe it's it's suburbs or some some part uh, of of those cities, or even part of suburbs. I mean, we don't have to move mm. the whole city, but we've got some places that we know flood every couple of years. Mm. In so they're the ones we need to start with, and just don't keep moving them. And then you build from there. You can start small and build if you want to. Mm. So, uh, look at what you've painted. Um, is is quite a it is a picture of of a complex set of of relationships you know business or viability depends on people wanting to to buy from that business which may be other businesses or maybe residents so there's a kind of a deep interconnection between the habitability of an area uh, and the commercial viability of an area you've painted a picture of varying degrees of vulnerability or resilience to to flood based on the, I guess, to some extent, the size of the business, the family versus the, the larger, better capitalized uh, business. Um, you've painted a picture of a changing climate and, and likelihood of, of 
increasing flood severity. Um, what, looking forward, given this, this complexity and some potential spaces for adaptation, movement, um, but what, what do you think, what are the, what, what's the bundle of measures that we can take collectively to reduce vulnerability, uh, both for businesses, but also for, 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 uh, for inhabitants uh, and build resilience to, to flooding in, in southeast Queensland uh, going forward? One of the things we have to do is stop relying on the dam. We have a complete faith that that's going to save us, that Wyvernhoe mm. Dam will be our salvation. It won't. It only regulates half the river. So we have to think about downstream. And we've got to, we've got to think about the scale. So for the small floods, there's, there are things we can do. We can raise the houses. We can redesign. We can stop building more houses. That would be a really good idea. We know those flood-prone areas, and we have to stop putting more people in them. So mm. that's the thing. But when you get to the bigger floods, the really big floods, then we do have to start about talk about moving people. Brisbane actually has a lot of hills. Mm. We could talk about maybe making the housing dense, more dense in those areas. Mm. We have this absolute love affair with the small house on the, on the single block. Yes. You know, um, other parts of the world live fairly happily in apartments or so on. We may have to just actually think about how we live differently in this climate. Mm. And maybe as a, a sort of a finishing, um, uh, finishing comment, uh, if you have a... If you had a a dial from zero to ten of uh, of confidence and optimism about the future and our ability to uh, to live with floods. Uh, mm. Zero is is very pessimistic. Ten is very uh, optimistic. Um, where where where's where's Margaret's dial and and why? I'd like to tell you it was over halfway, but I don't think it is because I think we are very path dependent that we keep doing what's comfortable and what's familiar and history does repeat itself to some extent. So I have seen a change in the conversation from 2011 floods about adaptation and there are some programs going on about redesigning and moving and those discussions are taking place. But I think it takes a lot more political courage than we perhaps have or more money than we're prepared to spend to tip it over into that second half of the more positive. So I'd like to pretend I think it's a great rosy future, but I'm more concerned than that. Okay. Well, look, that's a, a cheery note to end on. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> but look, this is, it's, it's a complex uh, process, both climatologically, but also in terms of the economics and the spatial pattern uh, of the places that we live and work in. Um, and uh, I suppose if there's one, one last message for any, any key political or decision makers out there, what, what might it be? I think there actually is community will to make a change. So listen to the community. The community doesn't want to keep getting flooded like this. So sometimes communities need to take politicians by their hand and help them make brave decisions. And I think we need to be doing that. So my message to politicians is be courageous. We've appointed you to lead. Excellent. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Margaret. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. Okay. The Worker Learner Podcast was brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education.